All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, there's a real buzz around Glen Abbey right now because Brent Gunning may be on the course at some point. But more important than that, we got two Leaf legends at the table right now, Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark. Good morning, fellas. How are we doing? I actually want to tell them about this. I feel like they'll... Did you just interrupt Doug Gilmore? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, you I just did. interrupted Good Doug morning, Gilmore. Guys. I did. I own his jersey. I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to interrupt him, okay? Uh, I, you guys will appreciate this. Was not expected to play because, you know, I have an actual job to do. I think I might have been able to finagle my way onto the course today through just sheer shamelessness. So I'm just riding a high of that hey, right now. Anytime hey. you want to take my spot out there, go <laughs> ahead. You, got, you guys are athletes. You know about having a goal, committing to it, and potentially achieving it. So I'm just, uh, I'm just riding that high. How are we doing this morning, fellas? All good. We're good. Hey, you just got on the three-hour drive. I'm good. Okay. Okay. Three-hour drive? Where are we coming well, in from? I'm coming in from up north. Okay. Yeah, way up north. And so. I'm coming from Burlington, so it was pretty easy. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what, what See, time did you have to get up? A couple of Burlington guys. I was guys. up at just after 4. Just after 4. Okay, you made it safe and sound. Uh, I got home at 4. You got home at 4. <laughs> <laughs> Living different lives. Yeah. Living different that's, lives. That's not, that's not true, but uh, Sounds yeah, good, I, though. I jumped, jumped on the 407. Yeah. And... Just come up, it's easy, and uh, yeah, flew there you go. 15, boys minutes, both so. both made it for the 14th annual Joe Carter Classic, which is the celebrity event I'm learning of the entire summer here in Toronto. Uh, before we start uh, getting into the nitty gritty, I need a couple icebreakers from you guys. Best club in the bag from each of you, and uh, the order at the turn for each of you. Uh, 19th hole, something <laughs> light. Uh, that's the club. It's a great okay. club. With a, with a club sandwich, probably at the turn. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a good club these days. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I belong to Burlington Golf Country Club. I've been there about seven years, and I've played once this year. I was just yeah. telling Wendell. It's like, uh, yeah, it's a, a lot of money for one round. So we're talking about the uh, the network of athletes, right, and how it might be different 30 years later than it was, you know, 33, uh, 30 years ago, 93. Of course, you're starring for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Joe Carter's hitting World Series home runs. I imagine that's how you all get connected. But what was it like being an athlete then and, you know, overlapping with other athletes in a city like Toronto where major, major sports happenings are going um, down? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it was a great time in Toronto. Electric, like, eh? like, it was awesome because the Jays were winning. Uh, we had a couple good runs in the playoffs, and and so the Sky Dome then and Gardens, mm -hmm. uh, the fans were basically walking up and down uh, <laughs> from one end, uh, from one end to the other, catching both games, whether it's an afternoon uh, Jays game and then a night Leaf game, and they probably stopped halfway at Alice Fazuli's on the way <laughs> just to. Uh, uh, refresh themselves but it was uh, a fun time i don't know that's that's the greatest thing when you're uh, in a city when the sports teams are winning it's fun for the fans the city everywhere you go is is the, the energy is great and uh, my dad was a ball player uh, he wasn't a hockey guy so <laughs> my brother he's a little bit older than i am he's 73 and he uh, played with daryl sittler and dan maloney in london Knights. <laughs> but again i was a baseball it was my favorite sport and uh my dad, he was a lefty, so I write with my right hand. He made me throw with my left. <laughs> so everything I do is right-handed. So if I'm playing uh, hockey, I'm catching with this hand. <laughs> but it's something that uh, I enjoyed. Uh, growing up in uh, Kingston, uh, there was a lot of baseball things that went on and played fast pitch. And then, um, m again, my brother David, he uh, when he retired, he worked at Millhaven Penitentiary as a sports director. So 
we would go in there. I was 16 years old. We'd go in there. Again, they didn't. The inmates didn't really have too many away games, so <laughs> we'd, we'd go in there and play baseball. And at 16 years old, guys, it was uh, wow. frightening, but it was really cool. Gee, uh, we talk about killer instinct. Maybe that's a good place, uh, good place <laughs> yeah. to pick it up, playing baseball at a penitentiary. You know, you guys both, we always talk about this of, you know, the Leafs. They finally had their breakthrough. They, they won around. For some people, it felt like they won 10. It had been so long. You guys have been in the city when it's jumping from a deep playoff run, and not just once, but a, but a couple of times. What is it like, you know, Doug or well, Wendell? Whoever, we'll start I, with you, Doug. You what, what's it feel like when the city's so like I'll, that? Again, when I got traded from Calgary to, to Toronto, um, I got to know uh, Wendell in 87, Canada Cup uh, tryouts. Um, and then, again, I get the call that I'm being traded to Toronto, and it was like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. <laughs> And it was pretty much a thing that, for my side of it, is nowhere to go but up. And Cliff saw the potential on everybody, and then he brought more guys in, like Felino and Krushelinski and Bobby Rouse, and the list goes on. And it was just, um, I can honestly say, all the, the years that I played, 20 years, that 93 team was, I think, the closest team. Like, I know we won the Cup in 89 in Calgary, but... It was a great group of guys, and we had a lot of fun. Um, you know, we had success to, you know, one part. Screw you, Kerry. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. It it, it uh, kicked off there when uh, Cliff came in, and it was a catalyst of bringing everybody together, the big trade for, for Dougie, obviously, and Bernsey coming in as a coach and putting that group together and kind of – uh, Cliff was a nice guy, and Bernsey was the tough love type type guy. Most of the time, you didn't want to like him because, he, but he was pushing buttons. We were kids, and he was pushing buttons to get us to play better and turn the uh, the tide around. And that ninety two, ninety three upsetting Detroit, and just the energy. Like I say, there's nothing better in a city than when your sports teams are winning because the feeling in the city is is just fun. Everywhere you turn, everybody's involved. Uh, big news last week with Mike Vernon going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Doug, what's your uh, what was your reaction to that when you found out the news that uh, one of your former teammates winning a Stanley Cup together going to the Hockey Hall of Fame? Well, you know what? It's crazy because um, obviously Instagram and different things. Uh, I just turned 60 on the weekend, and Felix Potvin just turned 52, I think, a couple days later. Uh, <laughs> so all these guys that... Uh, I think Robert Reichel was... Uh, I'll be 50 soon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know what? In in general, guys, like, to put... I'm just going to skip that question for a second. In general, that to put that Leaf uniform on for the first time was pretty much overwhelming. <laughs> and it was, it was pretty cool because uh, Alex Gadiniak was in the deal. And uh, when I got to Calgary... My number was nine all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, some mustache guy, Lanny, had nine. And <laughs> Tim Hunter was 19. I wasn't getting that one. So uh, Joel Otto was 29, so I went to 39. And then when I got traded in the deal, Tom Watt told uh, Brian Papineau, no more high numbers. <laughs> so they, they gave me number 14 uh, in the dressing room. Uh, I had a pitcher um, when I first got traded there. I'm like, I'm not wearing 14. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a chance. Too much respect for that one. So I said, Pappy, I want 93. And so Tom Watt changed his mind, and he gave me 93. Oh, so look at you, a little pull. Good for you. Yeah. Here's, one of my favorite, back, back. here's one of my favorite stories, though. 87 Canada Cup. 
Dale Howardchuk, um, God rest his soul, uh, Kirk Muller, Wendell and I, we all sat beside each other. So Wendell was the first guy to get cut, and as he left, somebody somebody uh, signed his hockey pants. To Wendell, best wishes, Claude Lemieux. <laughs> so <laughs> I never said anything until I got traded to Toronto. I said, yeah, it was me. <laughs> oh, I opened my bag for my first summer practice, best wishes, Claude Lemieux. You know, but uh, no, if you think of those days in numbers where kids today are picking high numbers oh, yeah. all the time, mm-hmm. like I, I probably put, knew put I, numbers in their contracts. Yeah, now. well, I, I probably pretty in our day, if you had a high number of training camp, you pretty much knew you weren't making the yeah. team. Yeah. So I pretty much knew when I was number forty-seven at Canada Cup, I didn't have a good chance. <laughs> but that's but that, those were how it was. You know, if you're, you're high number, okay, you're probably not uh, getting shooed in and. And now there's numbers everywhere. So I got I got so many Leafs questions for you guys. But what would, what was it been must it have been like for a Canada Cup tryouts training camp? I mean, we have these debates about who'd be on the Canada team, and we we never get well, to see well, it. Anymore. We're going through first, the T-shirt here. I mean that that first roster. and foremost, I made the '87 Canada Cup. The last uh, cut was either myself or Dave Poulin. And who's the coach? Mike Keenan. <laughs> so there was, uh, I think, Gretzen, Messen, a couple other guys said, no, we want Gilmore instead of Pula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, so, it's, uh, yeah. No, it's, it's like Team Canada's tough one. Like you're, like my World Juniors, uh, when I made that team, you don't know till later, like like today, because everybody knows everybody. Yep. Uh, Todd Gill got cut, Newendike got cut, Roberts got cut, and Patrick Waugh got cut. That's from the World Junior team. <laughs> So in 87 Canada Cup, I couldn't feel bad right? because I got cut the same time as Cam Neely right. and Steve Eisenman. <laughs> like, I'm not even, in the, I'm not even yeah. in the same breath as those guys. <laughs> and so you're going, I can't feel bad for myself. <laughs> We're getting the same car out of here. So it's, it, it, that's how good the talent and the parity. And you're, when you're picking a team, you're picking for spots, once you? Because you, yeah. you got to keep your your build. You're not just all the best guys, but that I think that's where uh, well, some great Canadian hockey players Wendell, buy, buy in. I made such a great impact. I never got invited back to a Canada <laughs> Cup. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could have been because you thought curfew was twelve thirty, quarter to four. It is. <laughs> I don't think it was. I, I, I was telling you it wasn't. Well, no, the, that, the first the Montreal first... was the training camp for a month of August. Oh God. Okay. The first night. Pick a worse spot. The, the first night, I come in at eleven o'clock, and Grant Pierre's going out. And he, what are you doing, kid? I said, well, curfew. He goes, that's the night before a game. <laughs> we had like three weeks. Three of, weeks in Montreal. Oh, in Montreal. Imagine 40 guys, three weeks in Montreal. <laughs> sounds like a good time in a bad training camp is what it sounds yeah. like to me, quite honestly. Sounds like times have changed yeah. uh, just a little bit. Again, somebody kept every morning, go to the rink. And you we, we skated ar- picked on a lot as a 19-year-old. I do notice this, yeah. We, we skate around and warm up. We never wore helmets and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, when would try to get his helmet on. And we made it smaller. And he's trying to figure out how to. <laughs> you're 19. You're too scared to ask the trainer. Somebody's messed with something. So you just wore it. The idea, on. the idea of a scared Wendell Clark is not what I, I had vision uh, uh, thinking about this morning. Didn't that's, think it was possible. That's hilarious. Uh, the team now. You know, we've got progress. They won, a, uh, they won a round this year. Beat the Tampa Bay Lightning at six. Bow out uh, in the second round to the Florida Panthers. Uh, 
did you get excited about that progress? What's it like for you guys? What was it like for you guys watching this year, and what has it been like for you guys well, watching I, this team? No, I think it's great as far as, the, A, they've got through, they understand, you win that the one round, and that's an education for the players. Not mm. You can tell them as coaches and management and on the radio and TV, everybody telling them how to do it, but until you actually go through the process and do it, that's your learning thing. So they've got through that curve now. Now you're you're you've got a good group of guys that you really do and and now you're you're trying to add depth as you've watched those two teams play in the finals florida was beat to death by the time mm-hmm. that you know it mm-hmm. showed by by the game five six or whatever in, when they're playing but the, just the the depth that vegas had and the the size and because it's a battle you're going through four rounds and it's not all about the best talent it's all about who's war of attrition and still playing well and doing the right things two months later and and uh, i think we had a good learning process and uh we're going to keep going that's that's the the goal it's it this doesn't happen overnight yeah i'm the same as one like obviously we're both hockey fans and uh, we're leaf fans and um you see the growth of the kids that are coming in and you know you, you they talk about signing the guys back in the days uh for big contracts and stuff, and <laughs> nobody knew COVID was coming. Yeah, no, yeah. nobody knew the salary cap was going to yep. stop. So there's there's no right or wrong here, guys. It's just like they've got a great, a good hockey club. Not great yet, but good hockey club, and just add small pieces as they move on. And uh, it's something that again, him and I are ambassadors. We go down to the games, and um, it's exciting. So uh, a lot of talent. And you know what? You got to keep uh, most of these guys together because uh, talent is going to, with the uh, again, add a couple additions here. But talent is going to win. That Vegas team feel like a bit of a throwback. Big. Yeah, they're they're, they're big and hard to play against. There's you you can be a small player, but your team needs size. Just because just because in your go four rounds, mm-hmm. you're you're battling every night, and all of a sudden. You know, size, you can reach a little farther, you can go a little farther, yeah. where you don't have to skate four strides, and, and you don't have to... And even, Wendell, for our team, whether it's the third or fourth line when we played back in the days, Peter Zezel, Mark Osborne, and Bill Burke, yeah. you didn't want to play against Big these guys. Boys. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were idiots out there. <laughs> and yeah. we loved them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so, uh, again, you, again, we had Cruiser, we had Felino, um, like Rob Pearson, uh on the third or fourth line, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So it, it was uh, a great communication as far as the players that we have, uh, the players that we have now. Just keep adding those pieces, and you'll get there. Well, and that's the that's the thing is you know for for truly great teams who go on runs, that's what makes them great, right? Is all teams you look across the league, even even teams who are outside of the playoffs, they have tremendous talent at the high end, but you need to have those kind of complementary pieces. And honestly, from a fan's perspective, I mean, you know, everyone will remember the moments that you two had, but those guys stick out in a way that you just wouldn't quite expect them to. Uh, you guys both been fortunate enough, I wouldn't say lucky because you you earned it, but fortunate enough to wear the C for for the league. We know John Tavares is, is the captain. Uh, there's been some thought, picture, maybe one day that's going to be Austin Matthews. We'll, leave, we'll park that for now. But what does it mean to be the Leafs captain? And, you know, you guys have played in other markets as well. Do you think it kind of carries an extra weight or maybe it's harder here than, than it could be someplace else? Um, yeah, here it's not a marketing tool. 
uh, 70% of the other teams, it's a marketing tool. Let's put it on the best player, and yeah. hopefully he grows into it. <laughs> We're here, you do, and Montreal's the same. Um, it means something. It, it, well, it's because what happens is, and Dougie and we all felt it, when you're wearing the C in Toronto, like Johnny T's had as good a season stats-wise here mm-hmm. as he's ever had in the island. Yep. But everybody sometimes wants to say, well, you're not doing so well. <laughs> but, well he's actually done pretty well. Uh, it really matters uh, stats-wise. Where do you play? What position are you on the power play to get the stat? Or maybe you're not. Yep. Um, it, and so it's not so much about the stats. It's it's how you <coughs> carry yourself. Because when you're wearing the C in Toronto or Montreal especially, you may get some negative criticism. But really, you're the conduit for the team. It's not a personal thing. Your team isn't doing well. Well, the captain gets it because you're the leader, because you're the face of it. and then, But they're not really being negative to you. You have to understand that as a captain. They're being negative to the whole team, saying the team's about to be better. But we're going to go through the captain because you're the conduit. you got the C on the jersey. So anybody that wears that C is going to feel that little extra. But it's a huge honor when the, when the team thinks you can carry the C and wear the C in a market uh, like Toronto. It, it, it's an honor. You you strive to be as good a player as you can be, or as good a person as you can be when you're uh, playing and being an athlete. Because there's nothing better than than playing on a team sport and the team winning. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say because I got traded to Toronto and Wendell was the captain. Um, just the leadership that he shows. Um, there's presence on the ice. Um, again, you don't want to play against this guy. And he he uh, put his heart and soul into every game, and that's what leadership's about. And uh, you know, when I took over the captaincy after he left, it you know it was different. Um, again, you're a player. You know, expectations are there. You got to uh, produce and all that stuff. But um, just from me making the NHL, my captain was Brian Sutter. He caught he taught me how to compete. Take the game home with you. When people say, don't take the game home with you, take the game home mm. with you. And you just learn how to compete. And, uh, again, he was a great leader. Um, it showed by our success for two years in the, in the playoffs and everything else. So, well, How did you navigate things when you did show up, when you were traded to Toronto? Because we've been talking about we, – we were talking about it with Ryan O'Reilly, like this natural-born leader, a guy who's won a Stanley Cup before like you had. And how does he fit into that leadership equation right away? Can he have that leadership impact when he's been dropped into a room – different circumstances or there could be somewhat similar because ryan o'reilly could sign an extension here and stay and and work his way into that leadership core even more than he did but was it a little complicated i guess not not between you two but like dougie you trying to be your best self when that's you know part of your role is a little bit different when i when i came in i think we missed the playoffs by about four games we we had a pretty good run in 92 and then uh obviously 92 93 season come in he said it earlier the catalyst was Pat Burns. Mm-hmm. He pretty much said to him, Why don't I? You better be the best hardworking guy in practice each and every day, and everybody else will follow. So, was he right? 100% he was right. Do you think you can still coach guys like that? I mean, you know, obviously it's a different generation. And, you know, I think sometimes we talk about these kids like they're going to shrivel up and die if we criticize them a little. I don't think that's the case. Uh, do, you, do you think you can still be a kind of hard-edged coach? I mean, we, we've seen it in other generations. You guys got to understand, Burns, he was a soft yep. guy as well. Okay. Okay, so he, he was intense. 
when it had to be intense. Yep. At the same time, we had a rule. If we beat the coaches to a bar, they can't come in. <laughs> if they were there before us, we can't go in. <laughs> so, Burn now, now that's the vitamin bar. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The juice bar. trip. We just had a great communication, but at the same time, Pat had that police officer mentality. Yeah. When he looking at you, you know what? You listen. You're intimidated. Yeah, you know. So, but at the same time, he got the best out of us, and that's how you, you have success to get the best out of your players. Yeah, that, that's the coach's role. It doesn't matter the era. Uh, now you've got kids growing up um, – from what 15 different countries coming yeah. to play in the same dressing room so yeah communication is totally different so that's that's big but also coaches in general they know they're on that two to five year window yeah because it, when you play every other league on the way up players go through you bantam two years next midget junior american league you go through the coaches the coach can stay there so he's always getting new personalities you get to the nhl I need my best player for 15 years. Yeah. So if the message gets tired, I can't keep changing my best player. Mm-hmm. So you change the coach, and yeah. people make it like it's the end of the world. It's not the end of the world because coaches don't go stupid at the end of when they get fired. It's just you're another way of saying the message. Yeah. That's all you're doing is you're changing the messenger because really the game isn't that complicated. It's played the same way. I know people talk so much because there's 24-hour sports on their radio and TV, <laughs> and they make it sound with big words, and it's way different. It's not any different. <laughs> it's just different ways of talking about it. But teams that come together and win, they do the same things, and it's about just getting the message across. And and it, when you've got a good group of guys and the message gets stale, how do I change it quickest? Well, the coach gets changed because you can't change the pieces, especially today with the cap world. You're not changing. You've already, uh, especially if you have a nucleus of talent, you can't re-just get the talent again. So you, so you change the message, and it may work, it may not work. You don't know as upper management, but that's you're, you're just trying to find ways to win. I think Vegas, since they come in, yeah, they, the in how many example. years? Seven, eight years they've been in? Yep. Six. Six. Six years, three coaches, yep. and never been bad yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and needed the but coach imagine, maybe to get over the hump here in the playoffs. Just But had that been on a Canadian team, what would everybody be saying? Disaster. Yeah. Yes, no. but because you're in a market where nobody's watching. Exactly. It's nothing said about it, but there's a team where, okay, we're pretty good, but something's missing, so they change. Then they didn't do it again, they changed again. Yeah. But they, it, you know, they're probably a prime example of, and the team was never bad ever. Yeah. And uh, flip, flip yeah. side of it is, you know, you look at Boston, they move on from Cassidy, that's the guy who's there, and they have a great team. They lose one round. Right? Yeah, right. they lose one round yeah. coaching change. Yep, exactly. Yep. Uh, last one for me, Dougie. Uh, I mean, it's amazing because there's so much talent on this team right now. Austin Matthews might be the best pure goal scorer this franchise has seen. Mitch Marner, unbelievable. William Nylander, no offense, unbelievable as well. Uh, but you still re- hold the record for points in a season, 127. Do you feel? Are you a little surprised given how much talent is on this team now that that really hasn't been a discussion yet that someone's come that close? Uh, it, it's fun. I'm going to say as a fan, it's fun to watch the skill. Our days were a little different, you know, it'd be hooking and stuff like you're water skiing behind a five-horse Merc, <laughs> and you can't go anywhere. But it's, it's truthfully, it, it's cool to see skill. Oh, yeah. And, again, we, we watch every day. I'm a, a sports fan, and I'm going to watch highlights of everything. And to see what some of these kids can do now, 
it's amazing because we never ever tried to do anything kind no, of trickier. Yeah, that heavy wooden Titan you used, I don't think, would work <laughs> as well as some of the. This is. <clears throat> I used the heel curve when I came out of junior. Okay, so I had 177 points my last year in junior. I get to St. Louis. Jacques Demers says, "Can you check?" Sure, I want to play in the NHL, so I check. <laughs> so my, I get two dozen sticks to come in, and uh, we had a big Swede on our team, Jorgen Pedersen, and he'd look at my sticks all the time. So he'd take probably half of them, and I couldn't, so I wouldn't have sticks. <laughs> so that's why I went to a straight stick, so nobody would touch mine. <laughs> so it, it, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, the big... Different sw- world. It's a different, but, it, you know... The, 127 points, you got to be a pretty good hockey player. Do. I don't care the era. And to do, if any of these kids are going to do what Dougie did, you have to bring it every night, home and road, and nobody for that two years, 92 to 94, there was nobody better in the NHL than Dougie was for what he did, bringing in the the team. And, and that's the goal for our young guys that are coming in here is watch that or what the best player of the time in the 90s was doing. Uh, just bringing it game in, game out, and it's and, and and our young guys are doing well. Like everybody, because you're the it, what's the fun part about the city is everybody wants you to win. Yep. So mm-hmm. when you don't, it's tough. And that's but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing better than playing at home on a Saturday night in Toronto or it used well, to be Wednesday, Saturday. It, it did suck on a Saturday night because the games were at <laughs> eight o'clock. Eight o'clock game, and so we only had one hour at the bar after. By the time we got out of the dressing room, <laughs> well, don't worry, they moved it up to seven. Now we know why. Now we know why. We're getting some eyes from tournament organizers. I think you guys uh, maybe are supposed to mingle with other people <laughs> other than just us. But we cannot thank you enough for the time uh, to leave. Legends talking to, uh, yeah, I don't know, awesome. the two of us for whatever right. reason. Thank you Pleasure, so much. Guys. Thank uh, you. There they go. Wendell Clark and Doug Gilmore. Uh, not a bad uh, couple of guys to spend some time with here. And uh, I've already hustled one round of golf. I'm a Burlington guy. I might have to hit up Dougie about playing at the uh, Burlington <laughs> Golf and Country Club. <laughs> you just I have shoot. that one on my bucket list. I'm saying it louder as he walks away and does not seem interested. It's not in shoot your shot. Happening. It's shoot every shot. Shoot every shot. Shooters got to shoot. Again, uh, you know, we're all living in the Grady Dick era. Uh, you got you to gotta get your shots up when you can. That was awesome. A uh, little mix of hearing stories. Love Doug Gilmore writing uh, Happy Summer, Love Claude Lemieux uh, to <laughs> yeah. Wendell Clark on his pants. <laughs> on his pants. <laughs> that is just tremendous stuff. Uh, that's only your buds can get away with kind of stuff there. Uh, especially think of the air it happened in, right? Uh, how hard would it have been to track down Claude Lemieux to find out that wasn't him, right? Uh, just just awesome, awesome stuff from those two and some good insight on uh, on what they think about today's core. I mean, I've talked to Dougie a handful of times about it. He's always been super bullish on this group, and, you know, I know we can get down on them at times, but what they said is right. Like, the skill is there. It's just a matter of finding a way to kind of get over, and you do hope that that one year or the one moment last year leads to many more, uh, hopefully starting next. Uh, you mentioned that we're getting some eyes from tournament organizers if i if we were the reason why doug gilmore and wendell clark didn't get breakfast this morning i'm gonna feel terrible about myself i i'm show. gonna go out on a limb and say those guys have the sway to get breakfast <laughs> literally anywhere they delivered are. to them at any time yep. okay let's take a break because we got joe carter after the break plus more guests here at the 14th annual joe carter classic golf tournament 30 years after Joe Carter's World Series winning home run. We're at Glen Abbey Golf Club. More guests next. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We're hanging out Glen Abbey Golf Club in Oakville, Ontario. The sun is out. There are welcome packages being put together in our vicinity, and they look real good. They look like welcome packages. A golf guy would love say, to get his, his they hands like, on. They look like something I should have is what it, <laughs> what it actually looks like here. Again, like don't shoot one shot. Don't shoot two shots. Shoot all the shots. Uh, you got something to show for it. Precisely. Uh, channel your inner... I guess Steph Curry? Shooter McGowan. That means you got to be... Like, like, like the success rate would have to be like really good, yeah. obviously. Uh, you know, we'll find a, a good comparable as we go here. We are at the 14th annual. I like to Joe think Carter. Olympic archer. Just everything's money, <laughs> I would hope. Today, Every, one Everything's for, hitting the bullseye? I'm one for two so far. I don't know if it was bullseye. Maybe like the ring right outside the bullseye. It was like a... We'll, we're, we're, we, we might, we might you, be able to get this done. It you, wasn't you're in, you're playing with Joe. You discuss the merits of where on the dartboard or archery board <laughs> I hit it. Well, I am smoking drive and uh, trying no, to hit the, the line, tiger The line was 18. while I'm throwing darts on the golf course. No, uh, I would never lie to the people. That's not happening. That's not happening? Okay. Well, we'll see. You'll have at least one dart, uh, I assume, if you mm-hmm. get out there. Of course. Um, so the NHL draft is tonight, uh, which is very exciting. I've heard. It's a busy night in the NHL. A lot of these folks wait. You know, uh, let's, let's not open the phones too much. Let's yeah. not break our backs trying to make connections. Let's wait till we're all in the same spot. Let's wait till we're all in Nashville to have these discussions. And we have saw, you know, a feverish bit of activity to start the week. I can only imagine there are going to be meaningful conversations and some trade action happening today before the selections are off the board and Connor Bedard officially becomes a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, he'll have Taylor Hall to play with and Nick Foligno. Both were acquired by the Boston Bruins in a bit of a uh, salary restructuring uh, for Boston. And Boston apparently proceeding without any knowledge that Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci will be back. So they might get real aggressive here as they look to, you know, fill up to four spots in their roster from yep. last season. Four forward positions may need to be replaced, although... Uh, I got a feeling Patrice might be back. I just, yeah, I'm never, uh, maybe this is just hopeful. This is fingers crossed, but uh, I just hope he continues. I'm hopeful the other way. Where he's still where, yeah, you don't, come on. Yeah, no, I do. No, you don't. I I don't believe that. What do you mean? Uh, Is Canada going to play? You want the NHL to get actively worse so that the Leafs. Come on. It's like, look. How would it not be actively worse if the best defensive forward in the game and one of a surefire Hall of Famer is out of the league. Look, I love watching minutia of the game as much as anybody else. Who, who Joe Blandizi replaces up, him. It's a better league with hands, Joe Blandizi. Hands up here. Uh, we got five of us here. Anybody ever turned on the TV excited to watch a Selkie performance tonight? Anybody ever done that? I don't think I have personally. Well, so, when, when everyone look, wanted to give it to Mitch Marner, we get real excited about that. <laughs> you were talking to the wrong guy <laughs> about wanting to give that to Mitch Marner. Uh, let me tell you that. Uh, but no, I, like, I understand the point you're making, but you know, Patrice Bergeron, he's long in the tooth in age obviously he still has a ton to give but uh yeah if i was sitting here telling you i'd be upset to see him not playing next year those would be crocodile tears because anytime boston gets worse i'm a happier guy this atlantic is going to be more mushed together than ever next year i really truly think that so one of those teams in the mush getting a little bit worse i'll take it this uh, no this is the argument well you know just get in and and try to make something happen rather than hey let's win the division let's be the best let's not wait for someone else to fail let's take it ourselves 
that is a problem with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hey, that's, they, that's if, a reflection if of they want right If God. they want to go out and win the division, I would very much love to see it. I think it's possible, depending on the moves that happen. But I just, again, I say, the team that has been the thorn in this team's side, even when they don't have to go through them, getting worse, losing their heart and soul leader, all that stuff, not going to upset me one bit. Are you concerned a little about this year? Yeah. Um, yeah. As we've gone through it, you know, 12, 13 forwards and defensemen who are surefire NHL players on the roster right now. Nothing from Brad Living in terms of player acquisition just yet. He's still on the outside looking in. He's not going to be at the draft table until number 17. It seems like he has so much to do and hasn't made any inroads yet on completing this roster. Right now, priority is William Nylander and Austin Matthews getting those contracts signed. It's a weak free agent crop. They do not have many draft picks. They don't have all that much coming up in the system. I'm finding it harder and harder to believe, and we talked about this yesterday, them even having close to what their final roster will look like to start the season because the heavy lifting, it just feels like it's too onerous at this point with the Maple Leafs having so much to do and so little time to do yeah, it. It's going to be PTO season again when, when camp opens up. You saw Zach Aston Reese was the lone guy who kind of came through it. There were other bodies that were in the mix there. I was talking to you yesterday about, you know, it's not a name anybody's excited to see. You're going to see Kyle Clifford like as the 17th forward in camp or, or something like that and that's not a guy you want to be running out there on a forget anything it's not even a semi-regular basis at, at the NHL so I am I don't know how you can look at this and not be concerned I don't think Bradshaw Living is stuck in jail and there's no way he can maneuver this I am curious to see what the ads are to the bottom six one or two good ads in the bottom six will encourage me a great deal I have to be honest there uh, but then the other part of it as well is when you look at the you look at the blue line and, and what's there and Morgan Riley I won't say he took a huge leap he just showed us the best version of himself that's really encouraging TJ Brody is a year older you know say what you will about Justin Hall they're gonna miss him if he's not playing for this team and I'm not saying it's because he is a must-have but what you're going to be replacing him with is not going to be Justin Hall level. I don't think outside of a sexy Noah Hannafin trade or whatever, and what do you have to give up to, to fit all that in? Connor Timmons was a guy who I liked as a depth ad. I do not like him as the fifth defenseman on this team right now. So, yeah, I don't know how you can look at this. Even for somebody who has been as bullish on this lease project as anybody else, I don't know how you can look at it and not have at the very least questions. Yeah, of course, Morgan Riley will be earning $7.5 million this year. TJ Brody on the final year of his deal earning five. Jake McCabe is the next or scheduled to be the next highest earner at $2 million. Of course, his contract was cut in half in the deal with the Chicago Blackhawks. But then after that, Timothy Liljegren, Connor Timmons, Mark Girodano, and there are questions about Girodano right now. So there's definitely room to spend. It's just who are you spending on? And the number one free agent is Dmitry Orlov. Matt Dumba's out there as well. Mm -hmm. But it might take something more creative because if you're just going to be the person bidding the most in free agency, uh, you put yourself in a little bit of a tough spot. You mentioned Justin Hall and, like, missing him. This is kind of like this is I'm trying to drive this into my head okay. as I go through analysis this summer, beginning on July 1 here, as we continue to talk about this team into training camp and into the season. It's that the postseason matters more than the regular season. Mm -hmm. And as much as you might miss Justin Hall soaking up 22 minutes a night in that range for the Toronto Maple Leafs and being there every night when you so choose to actually play him across 82 games, the fact of the matter is he was scratched again in the playoffs once again. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try my best this year to reserve judgment as much as possible 
because it does matter more what happens in the postseason. And we saw different performances from different guys. We saw improved performance. We saw diminished performance. We saw Morgan Riley, who was, who was ripped on all year long and thought of as, hey, what a waste of money. Could we trade this asset, rise up, and be the best player for the Maple Leafs in the Stanley Cup playoffs and help them get into a second round? I want to try to have that cloud my opinion as much as possible because Morgan Riley raises his level, and Justin Hall, albeit, yeah, really good, $2 million in terms of, like, cost per production, if mm-hmm. you want to put it that way, instead of cost per point. Yeah, he was there for the regular season, but when it mattered the most... You scratched him a couple times, and he didn't give you anything when you needed it the most. Oh, I don't want to turn this into Justin Hall as a must-have for the Leafs. I'm just saying that, you know, I actually think the best way to put it with how I think of Justin Hall is that there are difference makers defensively. You know, Orlov is a perfect example of one that got moved at the deadline. You saw that. You saw how big of a boon it was for Boston. You saw how important of an ad it was. But there are also a ton of second-pair defensemen that get thrown around. And I'm telling you, if Justin Hall was a, let's just pick a team. If he was a St. Louis Blue last year, he would have been the must-have D ad for for some teams. Now, uh, I, no, no. Now, the thing about that is that I don't think anyone knows his name. To be we, honest, we. Oh, I think that you would have looked at a right hand, a right hand shot who is the size he is, who plays the amount of minutes he does, and that in and of itself for most teams is enough to say, "Ooh, two million bucks," and I can add that for a playoff run. I'm just, like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to take this as an impassioned defense of Justin Hall. I'm just saying that's what for a good team, a replacement-level guy looks like. So the idea of assuming you're just going to be able to go out and find another guy like that, who, again, you hope you can find a guy better than that. But it is far from a certainty, given what we know about the free agent free agency out there and given how hard it is to, I, I suppose I shouldn't say that, given all the flurry we, of activity we've seen, but given how traditionally hard it's been in this league to, to make deals. So that's, that's where I stand on Justin Hall. I don't want this to be he is a must-have back guy. It's just... That's what the floor of your team should look like, and he wasn't. So how can you not miss that? Best case scenario here, I think, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, at least defensively, is that we're kind of changing everybody's role, right? Like Jake McCabe comes in, it's $2 million, and it looks great because, hey, he could be a shutdown guy for you at $2 million. What a steal. Unbelievable, right? It's an unbelievable coup for the Toronto Maple Leafs to get a guy who can play on a shutdown pair and earn $2 million. But guess what? In the playoffs, it didn't look that great. The best Jake McCabe at $2 million is a guy who's actually $2 million in terms of your cap sheet and plays as your fifth or sixth Mm -hmm. guy and plays a more sheltered role and maybe help help shepherd along a Timothy Lilligren who continues to still have more in his development. I think knocking everyone down a rung is exactly what this team needs. And if you're knocking everyone down a rung, you're knocking Justin Hall out of the equation altogether. Now, how do you go about getting that done? Well, that's the, that, the, that is the key, right? Because you could go out and spend on Dumba and Orlov, and then you have you, while well, you're playing a bunch of Bobby McMahons. I mean, your second, well, third, or, and fourth and line all, all, is exclusively, <clears throat> excuse me, Bobby McCann. I'll, I'll go one further, and I like Orlov as a player. Are we sure that that knocks everyone down a peg, or are him and Morgan Riley just at the same peg, and I guess that moves everyone... Like, I think if you're getting a guy who is better than Morgan well, he'd be, Riley... Well, he'd, he'd be below Morgan Riley. Okay, but, just, he, but he is a surefire top four defenseman. Okay, so then you have you have Mo and Brody, and then Orlov is anchoring your second pair. Then you go with McCabe and, and Lilligren as your third pair. You still have to find a way to go out and get a top four defenseman, and we just finished saying how a Justin Hall is not 
tenable in that situation, and those guys are tough to find. So I'm not disagreeing with the blueprint. If you can find a guy to rejig people down, that's great. It's just, oh, wait, we just did the math, and unless we like Connor Timmons in there, which we do not, uh, I think I can speak for both of us here, mm-hmm. we do not, especially if we're talking about a playoff blue line, that I, I, I think that you kind of have to add two guys in the top four if you're really talking about moving people down rungs. I, the, the lone difference on that is how you feel about McCabe. And yet... And yet, despite all that, despite what actually needs to happen on the blue line, there are, count them, seven automatic guys that you'd pencil in in terms of forwards. There are seven unrestricted free agents who played roles for the Toronto Maple Leafs just last year. And this is all including, you know, Matthew Nyes playing. And and, uh, probably Bobby McCann playing. I guess Bobby McCann would be the eighth. But after the core four, Yarncroke three more years, Lafferty one more year, and Matthew Nyes on an entry-level contract, that's about all that you can have penciled, not penciled in, in permanent marker. That's about it. And there are even questions about how, you know, Sam Lafferty fit and Callie Yarncroke as a guy who could play up in the lineup. There are so many questions and so many things that Brad Treliving still has to deal with it, deal with this summer. And it makes me, and it's convinced me that, yeah, it's going to look not even like last year, more so than last year, where clearly Kyle Dubas entered the year with an incomplete roster and designs on adding and adding and adding over the course of the year or right at the deadline when he looked to put the final touches on that team. Yarncroft's an interesting one to watch, right? Because obviously, you know, nobody on this team is a Trilliving guy. I think that's obviously goes without saying. But Yarncroke really isn't because that was the bet that Kyle Dubas made of the kind of middle class forward that this team does not have. Now, for all we know, that's Trilliving's guy and he loves him and he thinks it was a great signing. We don't know. If there is any trepidation on Trill Living's part about if that's the right guy, I think the right way to operate about it is to just clear him off the books. Now, it is not a disastrous cap hit or anything like that or term for that matter, but I just think that if you don't think he is somebody who can operate and be maybe difference maker is too strong of a term, but a key cog in your middle six, then you have to move on from him because this team cannot be affording to pay a fourth line forward two million or whatever, two six, whatever, whatever yarn crooks at. And that was the problem for him last year is he had his little moments, his dalliance with Matthews, Mm -hmm. but outside of that, he never clicked with any of the other skill guys. And that's the way he has to find a role in this team outside of a camp, him and another winger really clicking in a shutdown role, which is not an impossibility, but we tried that so many times last year and it never worked. Yeah, you simply cannot waste cap dollars. Like, it's almost impossible for this team to have a middle ground and really the only one who exists in the middle ground, and it's, if this is like the middle class, it's the lower middle class mm-hmm. for Cali Yarncrook only making a shade over $2 million. But even then, if it's just a shade over $2 million, it's still in that Kerfoot category where if you're not providing value... Yep on a contract that doesn't pay you close to the bare minimum Mm -hmm. on this team, the way the cap is structured and with the pandemic and with the salary cap not moving and all these factors that have gotten the way of success, uh, you just don't really have a role. You need to be giving value or you need to be one of the haves, which are the core four, Morgan Riley, and so on and so forth. And the other problem with that is that the bloom is off the rose a touch with this core across the league. You know, I don't think players look at I, I don't think players look at Matthews and Marner the way some people in this market do. But I also think that if you're a player who is you know, in the Jason Spezza, and obviously that was a home scenario, Mark Giordano, same thing. But if you're one of those veteran guys and how much was that Dubas 
right orchestrated. Totally fair as well. But when if you're one of those guys who says, okay, you know what, money doesn't matter to me. Let's say Nick Foligno put himself in this situation. He shows the exact opposite. Good for him. Get the bag. But let's say he was, and I don't want Nick Foligno, but just use him as an example here. Sure. The guy who's saying, I got one year left in the tank, maybe, maybe two. I'm going to sign for 800K. I'm going to sign for 900K. Why are they doing that with the Leafs? Now, there's the chance that you get to play with those great players. But guess what? If you're a difference maker, you're a skilled player who's signing for that amount of money, or you're somebody who teams want for that amount of money, you're going to get that chance with other quality teams, and they're going to be able to fit you in just as well as the Leafs are. So that is actually the thing that I think you've kind of seen the Leafs lose their leverage on a little bit, is players dying to be with this young core. I mean, think about the way Patrick Marlowe talked about these guys. And yeah, Ryan O'Reilly had a lot to say, but that hasn't been the thing we've been hearing hearing echoed time and time again. Uh, and I guess what would connect Marlowe and O'Reilly is that they made pretty good money. Yeah. Uh, uh, Marlowe obviously signing a free agent contract, uh, Ryan O'Reilly earning on the tail yep. end of his contract. It's not a problem until it is a problem. And, and you're right. The person that's most representative of all of this, it's like John Tavares. Hey, come over and play with yep. Mitch Marner. I know that's that was enough, the video, that's a right? conversation, we, yep. but like that's part of it. And I, I think it's like, hey, you can win here because look what we have. Maybe it's, hey, you're just going to get scrutinized and lose here. And, and, and you're right for that reason, that, that the optics have changed uh, in that way. Uh, but this, this organization and this team, and Tre Living specifically, is just sort of beholden to the realities that it's facing. And there are massive, massive challenges that they've got to work through. But at the same time, I do feel like they're going to find and select from a pool that does want this opportunity. I don't think that everybody is turned off on the Toronto Maple Leafs and the opportunity to play with these players. I still think that if you canvassed uh, or surveyed the for entire sure. player population, that a large percentage would be for that opportunity. However, it does take a specific someone, and that just makes the challenge that much more difficult on a guy like Brad for living. Because if he was running, say, the... I don't know, no tax. I, let's say Vegas, yeah. where everyone seems to want that opportunity mm-hmm. to go there. Uh, maybe there are fewer challenges, but that's Toronto exa- it's is funny. still a premium market that's going to attract that. It's just, hey, you might have to you know, narrow the query a little bit. Yeah, I know they're the cup champs, so it's easy to point to, but that was exactly the team I'm pointing to. If I am a, a 32-year-old guy who, uh, forget even taking a minimum, but at the end of free agency, there's just not the deal I want, and we're going to go, all right, one year, prove it. Now, maybe Vegas isn't the spot because uh, if you fit in, they'll keep you. But if not, who knows where you'll, where you'll find yourself. But you want a team that's proven the ability to kind of, one, get players played. That's what they want. But the other part of it as well is you need to have belief in the core. And I'm with you. I think players across the league, they probably still think relatively highly of those guys. But it is not what it once was when Tavares signed here. There, there's no way it can be. If, again, like just look. Down the down the river, the Devils. Like, look how if you're a young, if you're a player with that opportunity, why would it not be the Devils with that young core that they've got? Like, there are just so many other options for this across the league. It is not just the Leafs, or they're one of a handful of teams. Like it felt like at the very beginning of this kind of Matthews Marner era. Of course, the most important thing are the Matthews and Marner from the Matthews and Marner era. And mm-hmm. uh, for all intents and purposes, Austin Matthews wants to be here. William Nylander wants to be here. Mitch Marner wants to be here, and John Tavares ain't going nowhere he's not waving or even going to allow the question to be asked so 
For as long as they have those three guys, and I know it's core four, but really when we're talking about the future, we're talking about Matthews, Nylander, and Marner, there's going to be a second win. There's yep. going to be a second iteration here. It might come after a lean year in the final year of Tavares' contract where it's really, really difficult to ice a great team because the cap hasn't exploded yet, and he's still earning that, and you're yep. now paying Matthews more money, and you're now paying William Nylander more money. It may be difficult to do that, but there's going to be a second iteration. There's going to be secondary interest in being part of this. And if they can get those guys locked up long-term, maybe Matthews is still in the three range, Mm -hmm. but if Nylander's there for a long time and Marner wants to do the same, there's going to be an opportunity for this team to suddenly flex some cap space. I know that seems like a pipe it dream. It really, like you're not wrong. But it in, does fi- seem in five that years' way. time, if they are careful with their books and they don't just go crazy here trying to make best use of what is remaining of this window, there might be the opportunity to actually be in a position like Jersey is in where you can freely or close to being freely adding players uh, because right now uh, that's not the case. But again, the financial dynamic will change here. Well, and it's fascinating, that that question in and of itself, because, you know, I, I don't think anybody is soft-pedaling what this year is. You want to win now. But to your point, you got to be pretty careful about the way you go about the way you go about adding those deals. Treliving wants to help this team and help them win now, and I don't think it's a 10-year contract. I will guarantee it's not that he got handed, so he has to prove it. But you're right. You don't want to find yourself in a position where the work you did to try to keep this afloat now is kind of dragging you down when you should be a little freer post-JT contract. And I will say, I think it's important that Treliving has the space to work because if his sole responsibility right now was – if you don't win this year, there, there are consequences. Yeah. He, would be, he would be scorching, not scorching earth in a bad way, scorching prospects, mm-hmm. scorching maybe one of your really good players that you should hang on to, mm-hmm. turning William Nylander into two or three fewer assets, maybe getting a Winnipeg Jets-like return for Pierre-Luc Dubois. If that was his mandate, you have to win or else you are not only putting the immediate future – in jeopardy, but the post Matthews second or third contract, in definitely a, uh, a third contract. It would be second, you know, with yeah. whatever he wants type of contract, uh, non entry level contract. Uh, you'd be putting that in jeopardy as well. And if you're really, really prioritizing things, or you're making sure you can't make concessions in one area and not the other, I'd rather make concessions now and for 2024-25 than make concessions after that because I do think this team is going to have an easier time winning when John Tavares does move on as bad as that's and not even move on just as not making 11 million dollars on the salary cap anymore while the salary cap is exploding league-wide the only quibble I have with that I mostly agree is the language Austin Matthews uses to discuss his three-year contract I don't expect him to come out publicly and say I'm not going to be here when this is done but there there's there's selling it and there's really believing it and I know that's just body language doctor and all that stuff but that plan only works if he is not using this as, ah, that's going to be where I eventually end up one day. And I don't think that's the case. I think he wants to be here. He knows everything that's a case for him. But that only works if you're going to have the guy, and I feel like that goes without saying. So we are at the 14th Annual Joe Carter Classic Golf Tournament at Glen Abbey Golf Club in Oakville, Ontario. We are still, uh, we're going to have a lot of guests in the 9 a.m. hour. The fan morning show is four hours as opposed to three this morning because we have lots 
of celebrities to catch up with in the 9 a.m. hour. That should include Joe Carter. That should include Jose Bautista. We will be back with updates on the other side of the break. It's the Fan Morning Show with Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning.